0: hi church family and anyone else watching out there i'm glad you've uh, tuned in here this is kind of a different time for us i've never done a devotional or sermonette for my office but as you might have heard uh, you might have heard that there is this coronavirus going around and the smart people are telling us not to meet together in large groups so let's try this um, as you scan the headlines you may see a lot of articles and headlines social media posts about people panicking in the stores and hoarding things and it just kind of feeds into this sense that there is something wrong with us as a society and in fact you may get exactly this question uh, or it may be formed in different ways something like what is wrong with people or what is wrong with our society And, and not just about the coronavirus right we have grown so uh Divisive, and there's been so many problems in our society in the last few years. People are asking that question: What is wrong? Well, I have good news for you. The Bible has an answer, and it's actually a quite simple answer. What's wrong with with society? What's wrong with everything? And the answer is you and me. Uh, the problem is that we are big fat sinners, and that is a big problem. And it's fitting that we come to, in this life of David study, that we've been going through, David in Second Samuel chapter 11, in his encounter with Bathsheba and Uriah and his great sin. Because what we're going to see is that sin is a problem, even in the best of people like David, that it brings disastrous consequences, not just for him, but for society at large. And what we're going to see in David is a microcosm and symbolic of all human dynamics before God. Because one of the things I hope you picked up on is that David, though a real person, is also a very much symbolic person. There are 66 chapters written about David. We have 77 psalms showing his interior dialogue. Much more about David than anyone else in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Why? Because David, again, though he was a real historical figure, it's not just a myth, but God rose, raised him up and chose him for this reason to be symbolic of humanity's interaction with God. David is humanity writ large as they deal with this God who has created them, this God who has given them commands and ways to live, and this God and all his interactions with us. How do we live with a God like this? What does he want of us? How do we respond? How can we be good enough? Is there mercy or only judgment? All these are in the David story. And all these make the David story, really the central story in the Old Testament about what it means for us to live before God. And here is where we come back to this idea that we are big fat sinners and this is the problem. Uh, it's, it's here because in this passage, David, the good man, the man after God's own heart, also shows that he is a big, fat sinner. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of, Dave, of David's story, 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says this, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they went to fight against the Ammonites. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now, right off the bat, I think the narrator is trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us not only the dynamics of sin, but kind of what's going on inwardly. Sin is what happens when we reject God's calling upon us, upon who we are and what we're supposed to do and be. David's calling right from the very start of the David story was that David was going to be the shepherd, the king over Israel. Now there are a lot of facets to that, but number one, top of the list, was that the king was the one who was to lead God's armies out against the enemies of God's people in order to bring peace, shalom, wholeness, rest to the people. And David had been doing that because God was with him. He had great success in doing that. But now, maybe out of weariness... May it be out of entitlement, I've I've done enough. David doesn't go. He sends Joab in his place, and he stays in Jerusalem. And this is where the problems begin. We're going to come back to that word sending, because as David is there, he's going to do a little bit more sending. I can't help but see it as the narrator's way of describing his royal prerogatives, his royal power. And the abuse of that power that we're gonna see. David's there in Jerusalem. He's walking around on his roof. That sounds strange to us, but remember, in their culture, their houses normally had flat roofs with a rail around them. And they didn't have to worry about rain that much, and it was a hot culture. And so in the evening time especially, that's gonna be a lot more pleasant place to be than inside the four walls. So David's up his his on the roof, his roof is and his house are high and lifted up uh, because David by God's prerogative has been high and lifted up, so it's symbolic of that and as David looks down upon the other roof, he sees a woman bathing and the woman is very beautiful and her name is Bathsheba David instead of turning his eyes away he keeps them gazed upon the woman and then actually sends, there's that word again Someone to find out information about her. He hears what he probably doesn't want to hear. She's married. She's married to Uriah, one of your most faithful warriors. But David, instead of being checked and stopped by this, he sends for her this time. She comes to the palace. This is the king mm-hmm. who's got all the power. He sleeps with her and sends her away. But david though exercising all this royal power through his sin he's going to find that his power and his control are no longer very effective because now though he sends her away no doubt assumes this is the end of the matter she now sends word to him i'm with child i am with She leads him all the prerogative, makes no demands. He's got all the power anyway. So what's David going to do? Well, he sends. He sends a message to Joab, his general, send Uriah back to me. So Uriah is sent. He comes back to David. David debriefs him about the battle. Uriah is probably puzzled why David takes an interest in him, especially in this. And then at the end of the interview, David sends him home to be with his wife. Go wash your feet, which is probably a euphemism for have fun with that wife of yours. Uh, Uriah, you've earned this. And then David even sends, again, that word, a gift. Uh, it doesn't say what it is, probably wine and food. So they'll have a good time together. And David's one is clear. it's <laughs> clear. Uriah's going to go home, sleep with his wife. And then when he finds out she's pregnant, he's just going to assume uh, that he's a father and a problem. But again, David's sending nail is not very effective. And Uriah doesn't go home. And he sleeps in the palace. And when David hears about it, he asks, well, why? Imagine how much these words must have, have cut David to the quick. Uriah says, I, I couldn't go home and enjoy my wife and sleep with my wife. My whole army is out there sleeping in tents in the field. It, it would be dishonorable for me not to share their privations. Imagine what David was feeling when he got that. Uh, so he makes another plan alright Uriah stay here another day that night he plans a big banquet make sure to include include Uriah and a whole lot of wine gets Uriah drunk thinking that will knock out his prohibitions but it doesn't Uriah sleeps it off one of the couches of the palace and David realizes this isn't going to work so David sends again he sends word to Joab through the hand of Uriah. So he sends Uriah back to Joab with a message. It's sealed. Uriah doesn't know what's in it. It's his own death sentence. The message to Joab is this: Put Uriah in a place where the fighting is heaviest, then withdraw, so he dies. And that's exactly what happens. And Joab sends word back to David. Uriah is dead. David does one final act, ascending. He sends for Bathsheba and he takes Bathsheba to be his own wife and she bears him a son. And if we were reading this story in the annals, in the chronicles of most any of the other people and the, the royal annals of the ancient Near East, of any other people, Persia, Babylonia, Syria, Egypt, this would likely be the end of the story because that's what kings did but there is an unsettling coda at the end of this there's an unsettling word at the end it's an understatement but it carries it's very pregnant with, with uh, symbolics with symbolism and menace but the thing David had done displeased the Lord you are about an understatement, right? I mean, if we've been reading this book, we know that God is not only holy, but he has sought and demanded holiness from his people. In fact, he had given his law. And in that law, it said that the penalty for adultery was death. The penalty for seeking murder for someone was death. Yeah, a little bit of an understatement there. But before we delve into this, well, let's ask ourselves a question. Why? Why is God displeased by this? Why is God going to do his own sending? In the next chapter, he sends Nathan the prophet to rebuke David, to confront power. Why why does God care about David's sin? Or more to the point, why does he care about your sin? Why does he care about mine? I mean, why does it matter to him if, if I do something I know I shouldn't do? Is he just a rule keeper? Is he obsessed about some list of of things, uh, the rules in the sky that we need to to honor? Well, to answer this story, we have to go, or this question, we have to go back to another story. Scripture tells and asks the biggest questions and gives the largest answers through story. The story is also one we probably know: Genesis three where God has planted the man and the woman in the garden but he's also planted two trees in the garden now one we know of the tree of the good and knowledge of good and evil but the other tree we may have forgotten about it's more important of the two actually because in the middle of the garden it says God planted the tree of life the tree of life and if you read the whole story of Genesis 2 and 3 and 4 and then interpret that through the rest of scripture I think what you find is this That tree of life wasn't just, you know, an apple tree in the middle of the garden. It was symbolic and representative of life with God that was offered to Adam and Eve. So that when they took from that tree, it gave them not just physical life, not just biological existence. It gave them a kind and a quality of life that God always wanted for his people to have. Uh, A life with communion with him, their creator. A life of perfect communion with each other. and and, and other people. A life where God's perfection flowed through them and perfected all creation. A life of shalom, wholeness, peace, rightness, rest. But as I read the story in Genesis 3, the tree in the garden, or in the middle of the garden, there was a path to this tree And that path passed by another tree, the tree of testing. A tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And remember, knowledge in the Old Testament is not primarily an intellectual thing. It's an experiential or relational thing. It says later on, right after this, Adam knew his wife and she conceived. This is not simply knowing about right or wrong. This is choosing to participate in right and wrong, good and evil, instead of simply receiving good by itself from God, trusting Him. So they receive from the the tree of good and evil and are thereby excluded from the tree of life. It's telling us something, this story. It's telling us that when they took of that, their sin spread like a virus through all humanity and yes, we still have a certain type of biological life, but it is not the life that God had desired for us. It is a life marked by sin as an infection within us, and that infection manifests itself in all the wrongness of this world, in all the lusts, and all the violence, and all the greed, and all the racism, and all the injustice, all the suffering, all the pain, all the dysfunction, all the death come from this sin problem. That's what you see back in David's story. God forgets David's sin, and yet the consequences of that sin have been sown into his family, into his life, into his kingdom, and they bear fruit. It's an ugly fruit. Everything seems to go wrong, or at least so many things, so many painful things go wrong in David's life, in David's family, in David's kingdom after this. One son actually rapes a half-sister, one of David's sons. Another son kills him for this very act because David has become passive. And this leads through time to a civil war where this son, Absalom, Absalom actually revolts against his father, seeks a kingdom for himself, and tries to kill his own father a great battle, a great war. And and that's not all. There's more to come. But this illustrates what happens in David's life is symbolic of ours, right? David is a symbol of spiritual dynamics, of what it means to live before God. And the point I think we're supposed to get here is that sin is the problem that leads to all the pain and all the dysfunction and all the suffering and all the death. Sin is our problem, our common problem, our big problem. And that's what we see. Well, that's the end of the story and sermon here. Uh, Have a good week. No, just kidding. Um, That's not the last word. That's not the last word because the New Testament speaks of another tree. The New Testament, the Gospels, the good news, speak of God planting a tree called the cross. And he plants it right there on Calvary. Golgotha, the place of the skull. Because it's in the very midst, in the field of death, that God plants the tree of life again. And in this tree and in this place, God offers us not only a pardon for our sin, but more an antidote for our sin problem, an antidote for the disease, the virus, the cancer within us that is bringing out, bringing about all our weakness, our sickness, and our death. God has offered that to us. On the cross, Jesus himself took upon himself all the rightful penalty for our sin. And by doing that, he was able to forgive us and thereby, that's not the end of the story, make the way open for us to be restored to God, to be restored with this, to this life with God. This tree of life is now available to us if we are humble enough to admit our need and receive it and that's why i believe the story of David and Bathsheba is so valuable to us because it shows us it informs us of our sin problem in a way that just words or just teaching will not do we see it we see it in David's life a good man one of the best men And that he still had a sin problem that brought disease, that brought suffering, that brought pain, that brought dysfunction, that brought death. And God says, that's us. But I am giving you forgiveness. I am offering you the anecdote. Have you received it? Have you humbled yourself enough to admit that the problem isn't with other people? The problem isn't that they just belong to a different political party? or they have different ideas, or they have a different religion, or a different race, or everyone else gets it wrong. The problem is that we together, myself included, and yourself included, have a virus within us. And we need an antidote from outside of us. You know, there's nothing I'd rather do than talk to you about that. And I encourage you, if maybe you understand this anew, or in a deeper way than before, and you're not sure that you have received this gift of the anecdote, this cure from God, talk to me, contact me through the comments here or some other way if you know me. Nothing I'd rather do than talk to you and pray with you about that. Now for most of us watching, I'm going to assume that we have received this antidote, we have received this forgiveness, this cure from God. So here's the challenge for us, right? In the next week or two, we're going to see continuing people's response to this coronavirus. And I believe we should take rightful measures. That's definitely a good thing that we should do to contain this as much as possible. But at the same time, let's not forget that the real virus, the one that will be here long after they find a cure for coronavirus, is the virus the disease of sin within us but by God's grace we have received the anecdote for this help has come from outside of us and been given to us freely and we are then able to live in an increased thankfulness for this an increased life of gratitude and joy because of this we can increasingly let this be the broader perspective by which we interpret the other things in our life that are still wrong. Yeah, they're still wrong. But they're not going to have the end of the story. God has the end of the story. And because of that, I can live in greater confidence, I can live in greater joy, and I can live in greater love towards other people than I would be otherwise. If I remember If I put before me what God has done. Your problem and my problem, it's right here. Same problem as David's. He was a big fat sinner. You are too. I'm in the same boat. But that will not have the last word. God, by his grace, has stepped into our humanity to offer us a sin cure. We give all the praise to him. Thank you, Father.